Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, good to be together, and uh, particularly as we have been praying for uh, those who are ill, those who are uh, in a position where they're not able to um, maybe even leave their beds or leave their homes. It's a blessing for us to be able to join together and uh, worship. It's a blessing to be able to encourage each other in uh, face-to-face and uh, fellowship with one another. And so we are grateful to the Lord for this opportunity. We uh, will be reading today from Matthew chapter 2. So go ahead and turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to be covering just a couple of verses, just a few verses, 13, 14, and 15 from Matthew 2 this morning. And we'll spend a little time in the Old Testament as well. This is what God's word says in Matthew chapter 2. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Let's pray together. Father, we worship you this morning. We remind one another and ourselves of who you are that you are high and lifted up, exalted above all, that you are holy, eternal, unchanging, and merciful. And so we worship you and we give you honor as a congregation this morning. And we praise you for what you have done for us. We praise you for the fact that you created us, though you didn't have to and you didn't need to, yet you created us, you created all things. And when we fell into sin, you sent your Son to redeem us. You could have judged us, you could have given us what we deserve at that moment or at any moment thereafter, but instead... You sent your son, born as a little baby, who would be our redeemer. And so, Father, we praise you for what you've done for us in Christ. And we will talk about that this morning. We want to lift up Christ. We want to lift up his name. We ask that you would be honored in this time. We ask that you would speak to us, that we would look into your word and see that you have been merciful indeed to us. I pray also that you would help us to realize just how badly we are in need of mercy. So we commit this time to you. We look for you to work. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of our message today is The Rescue of Christmas. The Rescue of Christmas. And I don't, I don't know about you, But uh, I love a good rescue story. If you want to be engaged in a novel, if you want to be engaged in a story uh, or a movie, if it's about a rescue, if it's about people who are helpless and can't uh, get themselves out of that situation, that will engage you and that will draw you into that story. And and, uh, this story that we're looking at today, this this portion of Scripture, though it's just these few verses in Matthew chapter 2, yet it's the story of a rescue. And, uh, and it's a, a great one indeed. And so I, I look forward to going into this with you. This, this, uh, as we've gone through this series the last few weeks, we've looked at the early chapters of Matthew and we've talked about different Old Testament prophecies that uh, were given in, in anticipation of and preparation for the coming of the Messiah. Uh, we were told in these Old Testament quotes, and there are others that, that uh, Matthew and other writers could have quoted, but uh, just from the ones that are quoted here in the early chapters of Matthew, we, 
we learned where the Messiah would be born. And so that helps us kind of focus in on the geography, help us uh, to see where he's going to be born. And more than that, we would even be told what tribe he's going to be born into. So they had expectation in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come, the Deliverer would come, and, and God began to tell them some details about it, where and to what tribe, and even some of the circumstances surrounding his birth, including even the amazing fact that he would be born to a virgin. And so these Old Testament passages, these, these prophecies that were given that uh, our New Testament writer focuses in on are a little bit expected. They tell us those kind of details. But there's one Old Testament prophecy that's, that's mentioned. There's one quotation here from the Old Testament that Matthew gives us that's unexpected. This quote that he gives us there in verse 15, out of Egypt I have called my son. That one doesn't seem to fit in with the rest. It is a little bit different than the others. And so for those of us who've been around Christmas and celebrating Christmas, celebrating Christ for any period of time, for those of us who are familiar with looking into the Bible uh, during Christmas time rather than just singing the songs that we hear on the radio or, or celebrating giving gifts or whatever, but we who have been dialed into what Scripture says about Christmas, we're familiar with those other things. We're familiar with Bethlehem and we're familiar with the virgin birth and, and, and we're familiar with uh, he's going to be born to a particular tribe and those sorts of things. But our passage today is a little bit um, enigmatic to us. It's a little bit possibly difficult for us to understand or maybe because it's so brief, we just go right by it and don't pay a lot of attention. But the reason we're covering it this morning is because... I think it strikes right to the heart of the purpose of Christmas. Though it might be a little enigmatic, though it might be a little difficult to understand, though it might not jump off the page of why it's so important, yet I think in there is a kernel of the gospel itself, God's rescue of a people. And so... What we want to do today is look at this passage, not just in Matthew, but of course we want to go back to the Old Testament as well since that's where he's quoting from. And we want to look at Israel's rescue. So if you go back with me to Hosea, Hosea, and we're going to be in chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11 is the source of the quotation that... uh, Matthew gives us in the New Testament. And, of course, you've gone into the Old Testament. When you turn to Hosea, you went from the New Testament. You turned left. You went into the Old Testament. And Hosea is a prophet. He's the, the head of the minor prophets, the, the 12. He's, the, um, he's uh, kind of a contemporary of Isaiah. And so when we go there, we realize we have to make a little bit of a shift in our minds. We've got to think about the journey that we just took. We just went into the Old Testament where we... Um, need to think about their history, need to think about their context. And the context we're looking at in Hosea 11, at least being discussed here, is the context of the exodus and victory. So we read in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son, says the Lord. When Israel was a child, I loved him. In the early days, my child, Israel, was in Egypt. Well, of course, this is a reference to what we're familiar with, the Exodus story itself. As you start reading the Bible, you read in Genesis, and you see the growth and development of a, of a small group of people, a family. And then at the end of that book, the beginning, actually, of Exodus, they, they, uh, in that transition there, they're down in the land of Egypt. They went down there because they needed to be taken care of. They needed to be provided for. And if you remember, God had sent Joseph in advance in chains and everything else. But to, to prepare Egypt to be the breadbasket, during a time of incredible famine. And during that time of incredible famine, Egypt, the breadbasket, would be home to, would become the adopted home for Joseph's family, 
for what would be Israel. And so they move down there, and, and uh, it's a, a, a time of hospitality. They're being taken care of. They're being provided for. It's a good thing. And yet, of course, you turn into Exodus chapter 1, and you see that now they've been there for 400 years. And no longer is it a, a place that's hospitable to them, that's taking care of them. Now, actually, they're in slavery. They've multiplied incredibly. They've, they've become millions now, but now they're in slavery. And they're in captivity they're in chains. And of course, the book of Exodus continues and you have God coming into the picture and sending Moses as his prophet to be his mouthpiece. And God uses Moses to deliver his people from that land. And so they actually go from a place where they have no power. They have no influence. They're, they're under the heel, under the boot of Egypt. And in that land, in that context, God rescues them miraculously. We have the 10 plagues. We have all that God did in doing that. God rescued his people. And so he brought them out of that place of bondage into what would be the wilderness, which would eventually take them into the land that they were going to call their own. And so it's a, it's a great story of victory. It's a great story of of wonder and excitement in the beginning of uh, the nation. It went from being 12 tribes who were kind of in exile, 12 tribes who were locked up and were, you know, the slaves of a foreign nation. They went from being 12 tribes to now when they're being called out, they're they're a mighty nation. There are millions of them and they are called a people and they are headed towards a land. And so we read uh, these verses, uh, these words in Hosea 11. One, when Israel was a child early on, I loved him and out of Egypt, I called my son. God had rescued them. They had been brought into a place from a place of chains to a place of victory and glory and excitement and wonder and anticipation of what God was going to do. It was a high point. It was a time of victory. And so the quotation here in, in Hosea 11.1 1 is a reference back to that victory, back to that exodus. But of course, that's not the way things remained. We continue reading and we see that Israel was unfaithful and disobedient. Verse 2, continuing on, after that excitement, the more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. So they've been brought out of the land. They've been rescued miraculously. There was no question about the fact that God had delivered his people. Time after time after time, God would promise a miraculous thing and he would do that miraculous thing that was on a scale grander than anyone could have imagined. Brought the people out, brought them across the Red Sea, brought them into the land, bring them to the mountain where Moses goes up on the mountain and he's receiving from God what is going to be the law for their their people, the law that's going to govern their worship, that's going to govern their nation. And even while he's up on the mountain, what are they doing? In Exodus chapter 32, we remember the golden calf incident. While Moses is in conference with God, up on the mountain, just up there, while Moses is in conference, what are they doing? They're worshiping idols. They had convinced their high priest to melt down gold into the form of a calf and worship that calf. While Moses is in conference with God. They had already begun into disobedience. They had already entered into idolatry. And as we continue to read through the course of the Old Testament, we see that that, that wasn't a one-time thing. This would be pretty normal over the course of their history. Yeah, they'd been miraculously delivered. They were God's people. He had shown them such blessing. He had given them his law. He had brought them into the land. And all the while there was an idolatry mixed in with it. Whether they were worshiping idols alongside worshiping God himself or instead of worshiping God himself. But either way, There was idolatry mixed in from the beginning. There was disobedience. There was idolatry from the very beginning. And so as we keep reading, verse 3, Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. 
I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. In verse 5, they shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. There will be a return to slavery. A return to slavery. The people had been delivered from the land. They'd been given every opportunity, but they'd entered into disobedience immediately. And that disobedience would continue to the point where they would actually go back into slavery. It might not be to Egypt itself in the same exact way, but they would have other kings that would rule over them. They would be kicked out of the land. They would be governed by other people. They would return into slavery. And so what started out is so exciting. What started out as every opportunity as, as the promised land and this great opportunity of what God would do, the things that God had miraculously accomplished, pointed the direction towards a great and exciting and glorious and wonderful future. But, but because of their own disobedience, their own idolatry, in fact, they will end up returning to a slavery. So that's the Old Testament background. That's, that's Hosea. That's God speaking through the prophet to his people hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ comes on the scene. That's the context of the Old Testament. So let's turn back to Matthew chapter 2, return to our New Testament context, and we move on from Israel's rescue. They had been rescued from the land of Egypt, where they had been in slavery, they had been in chains, they'd been rescued. Let's look at Jesus' rescue. And we read again from Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Now when they had departed, the, the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. That happens a few times in this series where you have an angel appearing in a dream. And he says, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there. Until I tell you, that seems strange, but he gives the reason for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. You see, Jesus and his family flee into Egypt for protection from harm. It's actually a protection that they end up going down into the land of Egypt. It's actually a protection from the evil plans, the machinations of Herod, that he's going to search out and destroy this child. He's going to find out where he is and how old he is, and he's going to kill everybody about that age. And we talked about that very painfully last week. That's such an awful situation. But God had rescued the family from that by sending them down into Egypt. He had delivered them. He had protected them. And actually, that's not entirely different from what had happened to the nation of Israel. Remember Israel and, and, uh, and his sons, their family? Why did they go down into Egypt? To find food, right? They'd been in a famine where they were, and so they went down there, and they were protected, and they were provided for as well. And I think there's, there's a point of application for us at this point, that God providentially protects his people from real harm. And I say real harm on purpose. Because as long as we live in this world, we are not promised that we will not be harmed. We are not promised that evil will not come against us. We are not promised that we won't suffer. We are not promised that we will have health. We're vulnerable while we're in this world, but God providentially cares for us to protect us from real harm, from spiritual destruction. He protects us perfectly from that. Peter will say in 2 Peter 2.9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And sometimes his means of rescuing you from that trial means that you end up dead at the end of it. But nevertheless, you have been rescued. You have been protected from that trial. You've not been kept from it, perhaps. Maybe you had to go right through the middle of it, and even right through the middle of the most painful part of that trial. 
yet he preserves and protects his own from real harm. This is what we read in Psalm 121, one of my favorite psalms. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. That's not a promise of health and wealth. That's a promise that as you face life, He will keep you. He will be with you. He will guard you from real harm, which is a spiritual harm, which is a destruction, a separation from God. He protects His own in that way. And so God sends the family down into Egypt as a means of protecting them from harm. But there they are in Egypt. And we see in verse 15 that there is an exodus again. Verse 15, they remained there until the death of Herod. The implication being they returned after the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, I said this is an exodus again. It's a, it's a moving of God's people, particularly God's son, Jesus, back out of the land of Egypt and returning him to the land of Israel, returning that family that direction. But did you notice when we read in Hosea that it was a statement written in Hosea about something that had already happened in the past? Hosea is writing after the exodus has taken place, centuries after the exodus has taken place, and he's reflecting back on the exodus. And he says, out of Egypt I called my son. It's a statement about the past. It's not a prophecy about the future. It's a statement about what God had already done. God took his people. He loved his people in those early days, in the beginning. When he was young, Israel was taken out of Egypt, out of Egypt I called my son. But in this passage, we read this. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. What's going on? You see, these these other prophecies that we looked at, they at least give us the anticipation when you read through the Old Testament. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. He's going to be born of the tribe of Judah. He's going to be born of the virgin. And here, this is a description of something God had already done in the past. What is going on? Is, is Matthew uh, just finding words that sound convenient, that he, uh, I should probably quote the Old Testament now, and so something about Egypt, and oh yeah, there it is, out of Egypt I called my son, and he's inserting that. That's the way I used to write my research papers when I was in the ninth grade. I need, I need a quote here, where I, and I would go find one and stick it in there, right? Is that what Matthew's doing? Is he a, a bad English student, a bad ninth grade English student like I was? That's not what he's doing. That's not what he's doing at all. And the reason I bring this up is because there are critics who will say that's exactly what Matthew's doing. Matthew is trying to bolster his argument. He's might, trying to make himself sound more official and sound more correct by quoting from the Old Testament. Here, he just did so really poorly. And so the critic will say that, but I reject that. I deny that, and I want to prove to you today, I want to demonstrate why he's quoting from this passage. And here's here's what I think is going on. Here's why Matthew would quote this passage. Here's why God would send his son back into Egypt and then call his son out of Egypt again. Because he had already done that with Israel sent them into Egypt to provide for them, to protect them, and then called them out miraculously and with wonders and signs. And God was doing so because when He called Israel, when He called the nation out of the land, they were disobedient. They were unfaithful when they came out. They ended up 
rejecting the message so much. They ended up being disobedient to the message so much. They ended up actually going back to captivity. Maybe not back to Egypt in the same way, but they would find other captors. They would go into captivity. They would, they would be disobedient. They would be idolatrous to the point where they would be kicked out of the land. See, they had, they had been rescued. They had been called out of Egypt. And then it had gone south. They had not been delivered. Ultimately, that actually they returned right back to where they came from. They returned right back to a different kind of captivity, the captivity of idolatry. And what Matthew is saying is that the reason God sent his son, Jesus, into Egypt was to do that all over again and do it right. So he sends his son down into the land to be protected, just as the nation of Israel was protected. And he calls him out again, just like he called them out. And there, there weren't miracles attending this except for a dream uh, saying to return and things like that. There, this wasn't a big flashy thing, but you're going to see the Messiah, that Jesus, when he comes out, he's not going to be unfaithful and disobedient. Instead, he's going to be faithful and obedient. He's going to do the exodus properly. He's going to do the exodus the way Israel should have done the exodus. And he's going to be the obedient one, the faithful one. And so though Israel had been physically delivered, they had, been, they'd had their chains removed, physically speaking, yet they still served. They still were in spiritual chains to idolatry and they would end up returning to that same spot. And so Jesus himself will go down, down into Egypt just like Israel did. He will be called out of Egypt just like Israel was. But he will walk in obedience. He will be the one who has obeyed the Father. He will be the one who, who shuns idolatry, who is fully committed to obeying his Father, obeying the full law that Moses was on the mountain receiving, even as the people were in disobedience. Jesus will be the one who fulfills that. And so before we move on to the final point here, there's a, there's a point of application here for us too. That as we look at Israel, as we read through the Old Testament, as we think about the history of what God has done with his people, it should remind us of this fact, that our only hope is his faithfulness and his obedience. Because I will confess to you, that of myself, I am just like the nation of Israel. And if I were to look at my own heart, and if I were to try and find peace and hope and comfort here, I would never do so. Left to myself, I would return to the same chains. I would return to the same yoke. I would return to the same slavery. It might be a different master, but it would be slavery nonetheless. The only hope for you and the only hope for me is not that we look at doing a better job. It's not that we really uh, get a grip on ourselves and, and uh, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps or really get this thing figured out or learn that new technique or any of that. Our hope is not here. Our hope is in Him. Because when He was called out of Egypt, He walked in obedience he walked in faithfulness. He was always obedient to God. His accomplishment is in the place of my failure. My own failed obedience. That's his accomplishment. Who was perfectly obedient. And I think that's a picture of what is going on here in this passage that Matthew is tipping his hat that direction. He's saying, yeah, you, you know your Old Testament history. You know what that was like. The great and glorious deliverance from Egypt that ended up crashing and burning after hundreds of years. And it was kind of a, a slow downgrade anyway. It ended up in captivity again. But here's one who comes out of Egypt never to be captive, who comes out of Egypt obedient to the Father, who comes out of Egypt the way Israel should have. He does. And hope for you and hope for me is not found in our track record. There's only despair or self-righteousness found looking in my track record. But there is only hope found in looking to Christ himself. 
So we look to Israel's rescue. We look to Jesus' rescue. Well, now we look to the believer's rescue from our slavery and sin. I think this is the direction that Matthew would have us go with this, that he's talking about this one who has been delivered, who is successfully delivered in a sense from Egypt, who is obedient, never to return, never to go back, never to take on chains, who is obedient. That's what he's talking about there when he says, out of Egypt, I called my son. Well, folks, you and I are born in Egypt. Spiritually speaking, we're born into slavery. You you can't read through the book of Exodus and not see your own heart, not see the fact that that's the condition we're born into. Slavery, oppression, no hope of rescuing ourselves. I mean, after all, why didn't Israel just decide, you know what? I'm done being a slave. I quit and leave. If only it were that easy. But they couldn't. There was no way they could deliver themselves. They had no power to do so. They didn't have the option. They, didn't, they couldn't band together and make it happen. They couldn't just walk off the job and say, I know, Egyptians, you're our masters. I don't like that anymore. I quit. I'm going to find another job. They couldn't do that. That's, that's the nature of slavery, and that's the nature of the condition that you and I are born into. Solomon says, There is no one who does not sin. 1 Kings 8. There is no one who does not sin. Paul gives the same message in a more famous verse, perhaps, Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the condition we're born into. Every human is born into a condition of slavery to sin. It's, it's in our nature. It's what we inherit from Adam. We inherit his guilt. We inherit his punishment. And we inherit his propensity to sin. That's ours. That's ours. That's what we're born with. And so Jesus says that not only do we all sin, but he says in, in John 8 that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And so the, the events of Exodus, the condition that the, the people of Israel were in, in chains and bondage and having to serve that master, that's not entirely unlike the way we were born, into slavery to sin. Without the option of uh, rescuing ourselves. We can't just decide one day, you know what, I'm done being a slave to sin. I quit. I'm going to go find a a new job. I'm going to go find a new life. I'm going to go be free. I'm just going to do this. That's not the nature of slavery for us to be able to do that. If God himself had not acted to redeem us, just like he did for the people of Israel, if he had not acted to redeem us, we would still be in that condition. We would all remain in sin even now. And so there's a a point of application here for us as well. We must realize the guilt of our sin before God. We must realize the place that our own sin, that we were born into, the position that puts us in before God. We are actually guilty of Adam's sin, guilty of our own sin. We're actually enslaved to that sin. It actually keeps us at enmity with God. That's the nature that we are born into. And so we have that situation, our slavery to sin, but there is the exodus of salvation. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's using that same kind of imagery. The domain, the dominion, the slavery of darkness that we were in, that that we're born into as the the natural man. We're born into a, a slavery. It's as if we're born in Egypt. With all that goes with that, with the judgment that we deserve, with the, the bondage that's there. And He has delivered us from the domain of darkness in Christ. And He has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. 
We've been, there's a rescue that he's talking about here. That rescue from the slavery to sin that we are all born into is, is pictured in the Exodus story. The Exodus of salvation being taken out from it. And you and I can praise God that the Exodus of salvation that's being discussed here is not like Israel's. Because what did Israel do? They returned. They made it a while. They made a good show of it for a while, but it was always kind of mixed in with idolatry as they worshiped Yahweh and the Baals and the others, as we saw in Hosea chapter 11. And they end up, their ark returns right back to that place in bondage. You and I can praise God that the salvation we're talking about is not like the deliverance of Israel in that they return, but it's like what Jesus does. Because he comes out of that land, but he is obedient never to return, providing a salvation, providing a deliverance that cannot return to that place. The exodus of salvation. He has delivered us, rescued us from that domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So again, there's, a, there's an application here for us as well that we need to become aware. We need to, we need to understand that we personally are in need of that deliverance, that we personally are in need of that deliverance from slavery. A person who does not realize that they were born into slavery, a person who never comes to understand the fact that they are captive, that they are enslaved to a master, Sin. A person who never realizes that they are in that captivity will never cry out for a Savior, will never realize they themselves need to be delivered from out of that. And you and I need to understand that. We need to be aware that that we personally are in need of that deliverance. Need to be rescued. I remember the moment that happened for me when I had my eyes closed and Someone else was praying, and I remember almost my heart racing, realizing, "Uh uh-oh, I'm a sinner, and Jesus is real, and I'm on the wrong side of this equation right now. I had to come to realize that I needed deliverance, that the story of the gospel, the things I've been talking about today, those are not just things that Christians talk about at church because... You know, they like the book, and so they talk about the book. That's not just the story of Christmas that we dust off every year so that we can talk about Jesus again and then go about our lives. And that this is reality, that I, in reality, was a slave, that I, in reality, was bound. And I needed deliverance. I, I don't know what you needed. I needed deliverance. And we need to come to that point where we understand that, that we ourselves personally are in need of that deliverance. That is the exodus of salvation. And finally, how are we rescued? We are rescued through faith. Through faith. Paul will say this in Galatians chapter 2, because the natural man will think, hey, just show me the way, show me the ladder, give me the plan I can work, to get myself out of this. I can figure it out. I, I know I've never figured anything out yet. I know I've, I've made a mess of everything so far, but just give me the plan. Give me the, the right things to do and I'll do them and I'll take care of it. That's the law. What do I need to do? What do I need to accomplish in order to free myself from this slavery? And this is what Paul says to that. He says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. He says, there is no plan that could be given to you for you to work that would accomplish it. There is nothing that you could do to free yourself from that slavery. You cannot just quit. Even if you word it just correctly, if you say it at the right time of day or whatever, 
You don't free yourself from slavery. It must be by faith. It must be by trust in what Christ has done. When we finally come to the point where we look away from ourselves and look to Jesus, we find deliverance. When we finally see my condition is dark and scary and does not have a good outcome, when we look away from ourselves and our own accomplishment, uh, what, look away from what we could do and look to this Jesus, we find that there is deliverance. We find that in Him we have deliverance. We find that where my track record is all the wrong way, it's all failure. That I, I've got nothing to offer God that would make me acceptable to Him. In fact, my track record has, has made me his, his enemy even more. But Jesus' track record is perfect. He always obeyed the Father perfectly. That His track record is perfect. And not only that, but He Himself went to the cross not because He had a penalty of His own to pay. Not because He had to because of anything He had done but because of my penalty for my track record and my guilt. And he pays that in his body on the cross, bearing that wrath of God so that I could be delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of Christ. John will say it this way in John 1, to all who received him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. No longer slaves, but children of God. We talked this morning very briefly. Monty was talking about adoption, something very near and dear to his heart in his own life and something near and dear to all of us who know Christ. That we went from being that slave locked up and bound up, serving Egypt, serving sin, at enmity with God, We went from that condition to being adopted into God's family. To be His own child. To be made His own so that my last name is changed, as it were. My destiny has changed. My future, my my life is changed because I've been adopted by Him. To all who receive Him, who believe in His name, He gives the right to become children of God. His own children and no longer slaves. This, this exodus that we're talking about happens by faith. And we read in John 3, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That how are we taken from Egypt to adoption into God's family? It's by faith in Christ and what He's done. That's not news to most of us this morning. That's not, that's not news to, uh, to many of us who have read this passage before. But what I love about this particular narrative, what I love about this aspect of the story of Jesus' return from Egypt and why did he go there in the first place, is what Matthew says, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. His son, Jesus the one who will be obedient, was obedient in his life, who accomplished his task. And how are you and I called out of Egypt? How can you and I be delivered? How can you and I be taken out of that slavery? Well, it's not by trying to redo the things that Jesus did. It's not by thinking that we can be obedient like he was obedient and thus we can have the same course that he has. We are delivered when we look to Him, away from ourselves to Him and what He has accomplished. And trusting in Him and realizing that if it weren't for Jesus, if it weren't for what He has done for me, I would still be in bondage in Egypt. It might look like I came out for a while, but I would return to the same place. I have to have Him. I have to have His track record so that I can be called out of Egypt, so that I can be called God's child. And so 
this Christmas narrative, this story that we talk about here, this trip that uh, Jesus and his family take down into Egypt to find safety and then, and then he's called out from there is actually a fulfillment, not of prophecy in the way we normally think, but it's a correction. It's a correction of the way Israel was called out and the path they ended up taking. Jesus comes on the scene, is called out the same way and succeeds. Succeeds for our salvation, for yours and for mine. Christmas is really a it's, a, it's a rescue. It's a rescue. Where the father sends his son into the lands of captivity to rescue sinners. Right into the heart of darkness is where Jesus comes. To rescue sinners. And that is you And that is me. He's rescuing a people, a chosen race, a a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we were not a people, but now in Christ we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now in Christ we have received mercy. And so... Christmas is the, is the kickoff. It's the, it's the beginning of that rescue mission. It's where it's just beginning. It's where he's being inserted into enemy territory to come and rescue you and to rescue me. And so the call for us this morning is, first of all, if you don't, if you don't know him, if you have not been rescued, you need to realize your own need. You need to realize that you, you dwell in the domain of darkness like those Israelites in captivity in Egypt. And you need deliverance. You're on the wrong side of that equation. You're on the the wrong side of that border. And you need to look to Christ who comes right into that dark territory but obeys where we have disobeyed and pays the penalty for our disobedience though he himself was obedient. And you need to put your faith in Christ. And when you do that, you will find deliverance. You will find that Paul's words from Colossians 1 will apply to you, that you've been delivered from the domain of darkness, rescued from it, and delivered into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And you'll have peace with God. You'll be in that place where you are God's child because of what Christ has done. And for the rest of us, as we celebrate this Christmas, as we give gifts to one another, as we receive gifts, as we go through this Advent season, as we read our Advent stories with our families, as we pray, as we meet together and, and, uh, uh, and celebrate Christmas, we need to remember that this is, this is that moment of insertion where Jesus comes on the scene into the dark place that we were born into. Your family may have been wonderful. My family is wonderful. But in our heart, there's a darkness, there's a captivity, there's a slavery that we were born into. And he comes right into that to rescue us. And let's give him glory for that. When we give gifts to each other, let's remember that that greatest gift of Jesus himself, it's a, his being born into this world is just the beginning of the rescue mission. And let's give him glory for the completion of it. The work has been completed of his rescue mission. He has accomplished all that he needs to. But it still goes on, doesn't it? It still goes on because you and I live in this world with fallen people around us who don't know Christ. And they need to. And so you and I have this message. You and I have the gift. You and I have the news of the rescue mission and what Christ has accomplished. Let's take it to them. And let's don't let Christmas just be about gifts and about wrapping and about Santa and about even about family, as fabulous as that is. Let's have Christmas be about Christ himself. That's my desire for, for uh, myself this Christmas. That's my desire for, for our family. And that's, that's my desire for us as a church, that we would take Christ, that we would give Christ as a gift to a lost world around us. Let's pray.
Father, I was, uh, I was locked up in chains. I was in that domain of darkness. That's where I was born and that's where I lived many years. Separated from you, bound up, a slave to sin, with no, no hope of delivering myself and no other Savior to do so except your Son. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he was willing to come into this world, be born, taking on humanity, born as a baby boy in this sinful world, in the heart of darkness, in a a sinful place, the domain of darkness, for the purpose of rescuing sinners. Father, we want to connect in our minds the birth of that little baby with the life of obedience that he lived, with the sacrificial death that he died, with the fact that you raised him from the dead saying that you had accepted his sacrifice. And we want to connect the birth of that little baby with the rebirth of everyone who trusts in him. And we want to celebrate that this Christmas. I pray that you would be honored in our hearts. Pray that you would be sanctified in our hearts. That we would set you apart and worship you and none other. We rejoice in this story that you that you delivered the people of Israel from Egypt. That bondage, that slavery was horrible and they needed to be delivered from that and you delivered them from that. And I thank you that you called your son out of Egypt also and he did not return. He did not go into that place like they did, but he was obedient, faithful. I trust in him and his obedience and his faithfulness. And that's where I find hope. And I pray that that would be true for each one here this morning. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Peace be to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. God bless you all. Merry Christmas. And you are dismissed.